And I'm aware that there are these groups, rebel groups, that have been causing great pain to citizens. And I would like to bring order into your country. And one way that we can think of to do this is to say to your government that we'll give them the weapons to control these violent minorities if they will promise us to change civil human rights practices in the country. We will give them all kinds of economic aid if they will promise to do that. And I'm putting my hopes that that will be even more effective than what I'm predicting the Norwegians could, could do. And what's deeply painful to me, deeply painful to me, is that you may be right. And that what I've chosen to do might actually contribute to more violence in that area. So I've made a choice based on that I have the same needs that you do. And it's very scary to me that I may have made a choice that I can only tell you I think I was acting in the service of the same needs that you were. There's some others, yes. I, it's, it's complicated. There's other political pressures I'm under, but I can tell you sincerely that I acted with the same intent that you want, which is how can we stop the violence in that region? And I'd like to know how you feel when I tell you this. I can only remind myself that a human <laughs> I, I don't believe you. Mm. I, yes. And I have no trouble understanding why you would have trouble believing me, because I said there's a lot of other stuff going on, too, that I must admit is making it hard for me to make this choice. I'm under all kinds of pressures from manufacturers in the United States, uh, deals that they will make with me to contribute to my needs to make this a safer place if I agree to things that will make for better th life for them economically. And, and I get so lost in the maze of this myself that I don't have any trouble understanding why you might have trouble trusting my intent. But I can only tell you that with all of my heart, I want to contribute to peace in that area. I hope you can hear that I'm in like a whirlwind of pressures. And it's very hard for me to really get clear what is the best way to meet my needs. And I suffer immensely to think that I may be making choices that contribute to enormous violence. How do you feel when I tell you that? I'm having a hard time um, getting beyond the distrust. I, I believe all the feelings and all the confusion, all the, all of those. I don't, I don't believe that this, that um, my need and yours is the same in this. You don't believe that I would like to contribute to safety in that region? I think if you thought about it, you might, but I don't think you're... You're afraid that I get so caught up in these other things that I lose that. I think that's, yeah, that's not in the picture for you. That scares me, too. That scares me, too. 
I get in such a whirlwind that I think it's hard for any other citizen in the world to understand on any given day the whirlwind of pressures that I'm under. And I am afraid that what you're saying is true, that I lose connection. I wish I had someone daily to talk to me like you're talking with me now. It would help me stay connected. I have a lot of people to talk to every day, but it's not at this level. And I'm enough of a student of history to know how institutions can make Nazis out of us all. Even people with good hearts like I think I have. And that scares me to be the chief Nazi in that syndrome. Beyond what I can say in words, how scared I am of that. And I think you've guessed the big fear I have, that I'll get lost. I'll lose connection with my basic needs. So I would like to hear from the rest of the group. I made myself very vulnerable as a public politician just now to reveal that much of myself in public, so I feel very vulnerable. I'd like to know how you're all feeling about what I said. Yes? Well, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of compassion for the president because I was thinking about all the people that are talking to him today that aren't, aren't talking to him on that level and the whirlwind that you talked about. I, you know, I, it's just like when we drop beneath what appears on the surface to be whatever we're attributing motivation or you know doesn't doesn't jive with our ideas about how things are supposed to be in any given situation and then hear the su the suffering um and to think about i mean i've thought of that sometimes because i because i come from a leftist background not there very much anymore but just because of the suffering that that i saw and experienced but um within the left um, <coughs> forget what my where where I was going with that, but it, it's um, something to do with the judgments that w that we make that we make of other people. And, and I, uh, I guess what I was going to say is, at some points, thinking about well, if I were you know, I friends said if I were president or if we if we were in president, you know, the president, you know, and I just think wow, you know, what a place to be. Um, so I thought you gave um, voice to it that sounded um, sincere, it, even if we might not agree with what your um, what, with what your actions are. So I have I felt a lot of compassion for you as president. It does raise the, the issue about though when. When you're in a system, whether it be a family system or a global system, where the paradigm isn't shared by other people, and to what extent can you not be, in their eyes, a wimp and jeopardize your sort of small security or a global security? In other words, people aren't playing by the same rules. So, so you're saying in the, in the role of the president here. Yeah. 
how do you keep your humanness within a complicated system where, see, Walter Wink says something that's really helped me. He, in his book, The Powers That Be, he points out that institutions have their own spirituality. So how do you connect with human beings when you're working within an institution that has a spirituality that makes violence enjoyable? Or, or if not enjoyable, necessary in their eyes. Pardon? If not enjoyable, necessary in their eyes. Well, that's how you make it enjoyable, to believe that it's necessary and you're protecting the free world and so forth. Um, they won't say enjoyable, they'll say necessary, but it's enjoyable. Okay. Uh, yes, how do you keep your humanness in that kind of institution, which is what we all need to learn to do? It's critical. And then uh, we need to know how to transform those systems so that the systems have a spirituality that supports life rather than greed. Right. Yeah. Uh, what I saw well, that was the empathy. What was the answer? <laughs> that the answer? Yeah. <laughs> the answer is you and me need to, first of all, know how to create that world that we want within ourselves while at the same time creating what Gramsci calls prefigurative relationships, that is, relationships that model the larger governmental pictures we would like to see in our families and in our workplaces that we can control, and at the same time transforming these bigger structures by gathering up other people who share our vision and transforming these structures. You and me are going to do it. Yeah. Uh, what I saw was the opportunity that you, the president with giraffe ears, gave her by stressing your commonality. Mm -hmm. uh, that you needed someone like her every day in conversation. Oh, yes. That, that was important. Yeah. That was an important point. And I can understand why she didn't pick it up because... In, if this were a real-life situation, uh, the giraffe ears would be invisible, and the words might be the same if you were just trying to put her off. So it, gets it does get complicated. Yes, I played that role with giraffe ears on it. Uh, it could have been a lot more difficult. I think the same feelings would have been going on, but without the giraffe ears, it would have been a, a lot different. It would have been, uh, yes, I see your point, and... Uh, I think it's well taken, and uh, I'd like you to know that we have many people looking into this situation. So thank you for coming in. Next. No, it could have been a lot harder if he hadn't had the ears on. Yeah. Thinking that I mean the difference. I um, I don't know why you played it that way exactly, or why we would believe that that's necessarily true. In other words, I think that um, it's as likely one's as likely to get that first response from the president as the second, because after all, the first one would have been more effective in accomplishing the goal of 
connecting with the person without having to change anything or without having to really be sincere about those things. I'm not sure what you're saying. Can you? I guess I didn't find I, I, I didn't find myself convinced by the genuine. You weren't sure that even the first one was uh, telling honestly what was going on. I mean, it could have been true, but you I don't know. You're not. You, you have a lot of distrust of it. Yes. I have trust that it was true, and I have trust that even the people that are doing most of the violence of the world have the same needs that you and I do. I've talked to them. I've talked to many of them, and I'm sure that they, I have no doubt that at the need level, we have the same needs. Well, I agree. I've talked to soldiers who are cutting off arms of children, and we have the same needs. I'm convinced of that. But they're caught up in systems where I think pretty hard for them to stay connected to those needs. There's a whole lot of other competing things going on in them. Well, I'm convinced that they have the same needs, but I'm not convinced that they're troubled. You're not convinced that they're troubled? I, I, I would I'm agree not, with I'm you that even, I, unless they have a friend like this, they're not going to get in touch with that pain. There's enough to keep them spinning that they're not in touch with that pain. Yeah, that I can understand, that they're far from it. It would take a lot. I, in the interest of time, I shortened this, but uh, it would take a lot to bring them down to that level. Yeah. power and energy and all of that and within 20 minutes he was telling her about waking up at 4 a.m. in cold sweat uh, about you know what am I doing mm -hmm. um, so it, it doesn't apparently it doesn't take much sometimes to bring it out um, it's just very hard to listen to it well enough to let it come out I am very grateful to you for suffering as much as you are about And I know you're going there soon, and I wish you the best. Where the hell does the energy come to care for humanity when it's more than I can cope with? Taking care of me. My government sells weapons when peace is what we need and our compassionate nature is hidden beneath our greed I see people on the streets not getting enough but how can I help them when making it myself is tough where the hell does the energy come to care for humanity when it's more than I can cope with taking care of me our prisons are a disgrace our mental hospitals too 
But burying my head in the sand is the easiest thing to do. I get sicker every day from all the oppression I see. But worrying about losing what I've got makes a coward out of me. Where the hell does the energy come to care for humanity? When it's more than I can cope with just taking care of me. written in my civil rights days in 1970. I'm a lot more optimistic. <laughs> Lots different now. Lots different now. Now I'm much more aware of the enormity of power that we have when we band together with other giraffes. And, uh, I see how even an idiot like me can create a mess all over the world. It's just a, it's very encouraging. Anything else before we stop for the day? So does someone have a situation they are eager to work on this morning? Right. You want to come up here and... Uh... Who is this other person going to be in this dialogue? My sister. Okay. Uh, do, does this dialogue start with me saying something, or do you start the dialogue? She starts. And what do I say in my loving sisterly way? You are not the king. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. You are not the king. You're just like dad. You're just like dad. And it doesn't stop. You, uh, you know, it may, it may be a shock to you, but there are other people in this world that have some intelligence too. And, you know, we were not put on this earth to do what you think is right. This is the most intelligent conversation we've ever had. It's about time you learned to shut your mouth. Do you feel that I don't listen to you? Oh, no. Oh, no. The poor baby giraffe. He's hiding. He's hiding. Come on out of there. I pay you good wages. Come on out of there. Do you need to talk to me? <laughs> What's this person feeling behind that message? Let me help you. It isn't happy. It isn't. It isn't happy. She's not happy. So I'll give you that much help. But what is she feeling when she talks this way? Anxiety. Are you feeling anxious? Okay. We don't have to be right, remember. We just have to be sincerely interested in connecting with what's in the person's heart. 
We don't want to be a giraffe parrot who just does the mechanics. No, we're, we must do this only if we are sincerely interested in connecting with what's alive in that person. So, are you feeling anxious? Then why? Because are you, feel, are you feeling anxious because uh, I don't listen to you? Oh! Are you feeling anxious because you don't get a chance to hear to say what you want? Are you feeling anxious because you need you are needed. you need to tell me something? I need to be respected. I need it to be recognized that you're not the only one who knows how to do things. You think you're the only one that knows how to do things. You're the only one that has any intelligence. You're just like Dad. It's, it, it's disgusting. Do you need to um, tell me more? I need respect that I have an opinion, that I have a life, that I, can, uh, that I have some intelligence. Do you need to feel more respect? Exactly. How would that look? <laughs> First, it would look like not being in too much of a hurry to resolve. You don't jump to fixing until you're sure that this person has had all the empathy she needs at this moment. And mm -hmm. it's far from it. That We'll get to the question you just asked about what she would like in terms of doing this in about 10 minutes. But we, she's going to need more of what you just started to get. So let's erase that and just leave it with what you said. So, Do you feel you need more respect from me? Yes, but you can't give respect because you're just like Dad. You have this egomaniac idea that you're the only one that knows anything, that you know everything better than everybody else. So, you know, there's no way that I'll ever get respect from you. I've long since given up the hope of getting respect from you or Dad. Do you feel you need me to listen to you more? You can't. You can't listen. Now, now we're going to see something I love about jackals, you see. If we don't give them empathy they need the first time, they'll give us another chance. See, so you're going to repeat yourself word for word now because he didn't connect. So that takes all the pressure off. We don't have to get it right because they'll keep giving us another chance, another chance, another chance. <laughs> So isn't that nice about Jacko? It's her sister, too. Yeah, it's her sister, too. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're trusting that you'll hear it again if you don't hear it the first time. Okay, see, I wouldn't lie to you. <laughs> so I say it again. So it's good that you tried, but it wasn't accurate. So, you know, you couldn't listen. You couldn't listen if you wanted to uh, because you have this idea that only you know anything. Nobody else has any intelligence except you. Do you feel I need to, do you feel you have more to say? I feel that you can't listen even if you want to because you have this e egomaniac idea that only you have any intelligence and nobody else. Are you feeling hopeless? Uh, Are you, you feeling hopeless? Yes. Yes, I've been trying my whole life to be understood. And there's just something about you. I don't know what it is that you're so hard-headed that you can't hear anybody else except your own opinion. Do you feel anxious about telling me something? No, I feel that you're so hard-headed that you never get any, it's impossible to get anything through to you. This feels pretty hopeless. Yes. And you're going to hear it again because you got just the feeling, not the need as well. See, the feeling is about 10% of the connection. The need you, is really the connection. Do you feel this is hopeless and you, you need me to help? You need, not uh, need me. You, you need, need 
to say more about it? I need to feel as though it's possible to be understood, that, it, that there's any hope of it. But I've given up this. There's no, there's no chance. You and Dad just, there's something about your mentality that you can't listen if, if you wanted to. You feel hopeless about this, and you need to say more? I need, I need just some understanding of how horrible it feels not to be able to get through to your own father and brother. You feel hopeless that you can't get through? Yes. I've been wanting a connection my whole life, and I've just about given up. What's the use? You feel totally useless and helpless right now, and uh, you need to feel better about that. I needed a connection with you and Dad my whole life. I've wanted it. I've done everything I knew to get it. Now I've just about given up. Here's the need. The need was very important. You feel like you're never going to connect and you need to connect with us? I've wanted to my whole life. Tried everything I knew how, ever since I've been a little girl. Now I just get, about give up. You feel ready to give up because you can't connect? Yeah. Now you're at a critical point, you see. She's gotten a lot of understanding. And maybe that's all she needs. Maybe she needs now to hear from you. Maybe not. So this is a giraffe rough point to know whether just to be quiet and see if the person wants to go deeper or to help them uh, to get clear by saying, is there more you want to say or is there something you want to hear from me? <coughs> Try that. Is there more you want to say, or is there something you want to hear from me? So, uh, what's, you, what's your feeling about what I've said? Uh, my feeling is I didn't understand that before, and I feel no, bad. No, 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 no. When somebody asks for your feeling, to give them a cognitive response is painful for them, physically painful. She asked for your feelings, and you said, I didn't understand. Notice the verb is a head verb. She's wanting to know what's in your heart right now. She's very vulnerable. Is she asking for an empathetic? She's, She's asking, asking for, an for empathetic. your feeling. She's asking for your feeling. And you were giving her, I didn't understand. That's what goes on in your head, I didn't understand. But it doesn't say what's in your heart. Somebody can say, I didn't understand, and be furious. Somebody can say, I didn't understand, and feel helpless. They can, they can feel anything. So it's really not telling her what's alive in you to tell her you didn't understand. She needs to hear how you feel right now. I feel bad that I didn't understand That's this That's a good baby, giraffe. I feel bad. That's how most of us start with a two-word vocabulary for feelings. I feel good. I feel bad. But that could be about 500 different feelings. So to really help a person understand what's in your heart, what kind of bad do you feel? I don't know exactly how I feel, except that I feel bad that, that we didn't connect let, let, before. Let me, let me help you uh, narrow it down. Do you feel sad? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel 
Discouraged? Do you feel hopeless? Uh, I feel discouraged okay. that uh, I, didn't, I didn't know this before. Now you see tears in her eyes. Because she's wanted this for many years, just this. Just the understanding and the connection. One of the things that gives me seriously great pleasure is how little it takes to make human beings happy. Later today, I'll do some work on gratitude with you. And, uh, I ask people all the time, tell me something that's happened in their life that really made life better in some way. And it is incredible to me to have asked that question mm -hmm. to so many people. Because the kind of things that people say were some of the most precious gifts they ever got in their life were things like this. Mm -hmm. My brother told me he felt discouraged and didn't understand one woman in Santa Barbara, when she thought of something that her father had done 30 years before, she cried and cried because it was still so much with her. What had he done 30 years before? She was a very lonely on a certain day. He was at the other end of the room. He looked across the room and winked at her. 30 years later, she's still crying about it. I mean, we human beings, it uh, doesn't take much to make life wonderful. Anything else you want to say to sister while she's in this mood? Or have her here. I can put some giraffe ears on her if you want to say anything else. Don't worry about how you say it. She'll hear it. <coughs> I'd like you to know, Jean, that uh, I felt terrible when Dad died also. and. That it was a very confusing time for me, too. Um, and that it still feels confusing. Yeah, so Dad's death left you with many feelings. In addition to the sadness, just a lot of confusion and things unresolved within yourself. Yes, and unresolved in the rest of the family. Yeah. yeah. It's requiring us to really look at our relationships and get them real clear. Yes. Yeah. I can't tell you how grateful I am at the work you're doing to make that happen. Thank you. Sister, you seem to have some strong feelings about this. You want to express them? I, I feel um, really sad about how much separation we have had to live through. And I need to have a way of, I need to have a way of connecting with you.
And my request is that we um, um, that we find a way to do that. Boy, with these ears on, I feel so touched when I see how much you want to do that. It, it meets a strong need of mine to feel valued. Strong need. Can you tell me the kind of things I say that make it hardest for you to connect with me? When you uh, interrupt while I'm speaking with you, I get flustered and I uh, lose my center, I get angry. Um, when you're really hopeless and um, pushing away anything that I try to do to hear, I f you're suffering, I feel, um, I also feel hopeless then. So when I say things like, leave me alone? Yeah, and don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Uh, don't phone me. Don't phone I, me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. you uh, you make me feel bad. You make me feel yeah. lost. Yeah. You bring up too much pain for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really when I need you to have the giraffe ears on the most. So let's practice. One of the most important messages to hear with giraffe ears is no. Or it's associated messages. I don't want to talk about it. Leave me alone. The person walking out of the room. See, if we have giraffe ears, the other person cannot not communicate. Even the walking out of the room is a loud message to hear with giraffe ears. Even the hanging up of the phone. We don't hear that as a cutoff. We hear that as just a continuation of the dialogue. What is that person feeling and needing at the moment they walk out of the room? What is that person feeling and needing when they say, I don't want to talk about it? Are you feeling angry and need to have some quiet space to yourself? No. Why talk about it? You never listen. You never listen. You don't care about what I feel. Why talk about it? Are you angry? Do you need to be heard? Yes. And I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, but I never get understood, so why talk about it? Are you frustrated because no one's because heard you? you? Need, because you, you need, need to be heard. And you haven't gotten that need met. And you See, we don't want to connect the other person's feelings with what others do. That creates pain for them to keep thinking that it's, their pain comes from other people. So we're not going to teach them, and you know, like in workshop file, you're responsible for your own feelings. We do it gently by helping them connect their feelings with their needs. So try it again. Nobody listens around here. I, I, I've given up on, on, on brother, and, and, and I gave up on father, but I at least hope my sister would listen. But no, no. Are you feeling hopeless, and do you need to be listened to? Yes. It can't happen in this family, so why talk? 
Are you in a lot of pain because you haven't been understood? You to, you because need, you, need you need to be to, understood. No, it's beyond that. You need to protect yourself from the pain of trying to get your need for understanding met and not have it met. So now you'd rather follow the philosophy, you can't fall out of bed if you sleep on the floor. I wouldn't put that in there. But <laughs> Are you in a lot of pain, and do you need to um, do you need to have your protect pain? yourself? To, do you need to protect yourself from feeling that? Yes, yes. And so, if I just have no contact with you or the rest of the family, then I just then I don't suffer so much. So now you see, we've translated the message, I don't want to talk about it. You see how much this person did want to talk about it, how much this person's talking, but she needs to have somebody hear what the feelings and needs are behind, I don't want to talk about it. So, now give me back these ears. Uh, you keep the microphone, give me the ears. So, sister, how do you feel when you hear this? I, I feel in touch with my own pain about not having you in my life. And I, I feel a lot of uh, suffering because you are suffering so much. Jackal, what's going on? Take these ears off. Why, Jackal? I just hear how much she wants connection with me. Yes, I Why do. Why is that so petrifying to you, Jack? I don't know, but it's petrifying. It's what I've always wanted, but why am I so scared? It's pretty scary for jackals to have these ears on. and and actually open up to the possibility that our deepest needs can be met. Pretty scary. Take them off. No, Jackal. Why? I like to terrorize jackals. I do. I do. I remember terrorizing my father. Dad, there's a lot of gratitude I'd like to appreciate, uh, to express to you. Oh, look, good. I, you know, you're a good son. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> we were walking, you know, along the road. I said, Dad, please, this is important for me to hear, for you to hear. You know, I, I really, when I think of, and I told him some things he did, and, uh, I'd like you to hear what that has meant to me over the years. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, Dad, I don't feel you're hearing me. Terrorized the man. Absolutely terrorized him. <laughs> to get him to hear that. It was like pulling teeth, you know. He told me later, many years later, how grateful he was that I terrorized him. 
made him hear that, as scary as it was for him. The thing here in the last few couple of days that has um, uh, that I've picked the most for myself to work with is to wait and listen and be with the feelings that come up out of talking to each other mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that um, I never really knew how to um, hear you or how to um, wait inside myself through um, through this pain or the suffering or the anger or whatever feelings were present. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and when you mentioned about how I interrupt, I realize that same thing goes on for me at those times. When I'm interrupting, it's because I'm in such pain and fear and hurt. And if I could only just take a breath, I can see what it would mean to you to hear you first. And, but it's just very hard for me to give myself that space and breathe and become aware of just how much I'm scared <coughs> or hurt. So I interrupt, and then I see how this aggravates others, and I can understand. And then I don't get the understanding I need. So I want to say the same thing to you that I did to Brother, about how grateful I am for what you're doing to create the possibility that we can really connect this way. Thank you. Yes. Microphone, please. When she was saying, um, I feel pain because I wanted to connect with you too, that is needs, uh, that is feelings and needs. And I guess my question is, how important is it to try to stick, strict, stick with the structure of feelings and needs, or does that meet the intent and the spirit of it so you don't have to be so compulsive about the, you know, about the form of it? You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, a student traveled with me from country to country, about seven countries. And, and at one point, I was doing a drill with it. He wanted to learn how to teach this process and wanted it very badly. And, and at one point, I was drilling people pretty hard and stopping them. And, uh, and then he whispered up to me, dictator. It was a deep appreciation on his part. I received it as such. I knew at that moment what he was referring to. I knew what his feelings were. I knew what his needs were. The words, he couldn't have expressed it in a better way to me at that moment. You see, so what I'm wanting us all to do is be conscious of feelings and needs. To be clear that it's at this level we need to connect. And then when we have that consciousness, then whichever words, or not lack of words, connect us at that level. Yeah, see, that makes sense to me, because in the same way that you were saying, even if you're not saying it, the, the feeling comes through. Oh, yeah. you know, the, the empathy comes yeah. through. In other words, to have stopped her to say, 
you're feeling sad because you need connection would yeah. have been a would have broken the spirit. Yes, and the reason I'm having this do, and I'm glad you bring this to our attention, because see, I'm, I'm having us say it out loud so I can be sure that your attention is on the other person's feelings and needs and not hearing criticism, not hearing thoughts about what you did wrong. So I don't know how to know that unless I get people to say it out loud. But then once I'm conf confident that you really are at the level of feelings and needs, you know how to get there then, yeah, we can do it without the words, sometimes, with some people. For example, if you and I are sitting in the living room uh, watching television, and you start to go to the kitchen, and, and I, say, I go like this. What am I feeling? <laughs> what are my needs? Water. Who am I wanting to get it? <laughs> it would drive you crazy if I said I'm feeling thirsty and have a need for some liquid in my system. And would you get me a gallon of whiskey in the kitchen? Uh, you know me well enough to know that when I go this, that that's all what I want. So. The, the comment you made about the giraffe being able to be sadistic yeah. and terrorizing. So I know you were joking on some level, but on another level, because you said the words, I'm wondering exactly what you meant, because I felt frightened. What I meant by that is we're going to get to when we look later today about how to receive gratitude and why it's so scary, you see, and why it's so scary. I love how they say it in The Course in Miracles. It's our light, not our darkness, that scares us the most. We have been educated for so many centuries in this theology that gets across to everybody that our nature is really selfish and lazy and so forth that to really open up and see the power that we have to enrich life and to see how glorious that is, it's like going into a lighted room that we're not used to. And so many people are so frightened of that that they say things like this whenever you start to try to express a gratitude to it. Oh, it's nothing. Just the tone you can hear, it's a painful thing for them. It's interesting. And the jackals must have all gone to the same school because they, they do the same thing in every country. Uh, French-speaking jackal, de rien. Spanish, de nada. My favorite are the Swedes, Bosh. <laughs> you see? So, I mean, so just, I mean, yeah, it's scary for people to take it in, but to say, well, I, I didn't want to say it to them because I see how embarrassed they get. Here's a time when I'm willing to risk that. I'm willing to pull this person by the ears, even though it might be scary to face the light. Does that make it any clearer? Oh yes. Yes. Being afraid to uh, being afraid to uh, see the light. Uh, would this be because of fear of trusting the light? Because I sabotage myself so much with my negative thoughts and judgments that I can pull myself right out of it. Yes, we've been telling ourselves these jackal thoughts about ourselves our whole life because we've been educated to do it. And then how, after a lifetime of seeing ourselves in this way, how do we really, beyond an abstract intellectual level, really face the fact that we are created out of divine energy, that we have this enormous power? It's a pretty big jump. It's a pretty big jump to go from being educated to believe we're piss-poor protoplasm poorly put together 
to see the truth. It's, it's a pretty scary jump. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, you understand that jump. Mm -hmm. It's a very scary jump. Yeah. Let's uh, get the mic. Yep. When I hear you mention the light, the Course of Miracles, uh, and some of the other things that you say, I feel curious about the spiritual groundwork from which, from which your model springs. Mm -hmm. And I'd like understanding, and I wonder if you would be willing to share with us your perception of the spiritual groundwork or your spiritual path mm -hmm. or journey or practice. Yes, well, let me sing you a song to make that part of clear. I had uh, an uncle who would come to my house each night when I was a child to help my mother take care of my grandmother, who was totally paralyzed with Lou Gehrig's disease. Runs in our family. He read uh, Tuesdays with Maury. He had the same thing. And um, totally paralyzed. And so this uncle of mine would come. And every night, I couldn't wait to go and watch him clean my grandmother up. And I never knew as a child why I did this, because she smelled and kind of disgusting. But why I did is it was like a mystery to me, because the whole time he was doing it. He had the most wonderful smile on his face, as though he was getting the greatest gift a man could get. As a kid, I couldn't understand it, but it, 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 it had such a power with me. So uh, many years later, many years later, uh, I was reading a book by John Powell, Secret of Staying in Love. and. Uh, there's a part in there that touched me very much about unexpressed gratitude, how horrible he was thinking it is that he didn't get a chance to express certain gratitudes to certain people before they died for various reasons. And that really woke me up. I said, oh my God, yes, who, who is, is alive still? That I, and I realized I had never told the uncle what that meant to me. And I knew he was near death at the time, so I got to him, and uh, I put into words, as best words could do, what that smile meant to me. And I asked him, uh, where did you get that? Where did you get whatever it took for you to get joy that way in life? And he liked the question. He really did. He took it as a, and he thought seriously about it. And he said, I had great teachers. And I said, like, like whom? He said, well, you saw me taking care of your grandmother when she was uh, paralyzed, but you you probably don't remember when you were a little boy but what she was like before. And he said, for example, have you, have you heard what kind of woman she was? Uh, has your mother told you, for example, about the tailor and his wife? And I said, oh yes, you mean 
during the Depression, she saw the tailor crying on a street corner, and she found out that he lost his, his shop, and he didn't know where he was going to live, and how he was going to tell his wife and two kids. Yes, yeah, my mother told me that, and how she invited them into the house, and how they lived in the house for three years. Yes, yes, yes. I heard that. I, that stayed with me, Uncle, because when we live in the house now, I, I keep wondering, where did they all sleep? She had nine children. She had no money. Uh, I often wondered, uh, we have trouble now. We're crowded. Where did the nine kids, plus the tailor, his wife, and two kids, where did they sleep? I never could figure it out as a kid. I wondered that. And then he said, well, did your mother tell you the story about so-and-so? I said, yes. And the story about so-and-so? I said, yes. And then he said, well, surely she told you about Jesus. I said, who? He said, didn't she tell you about Jesus? No, no. And he said, well, one day a man came to the back door, wild, scraggly back, black hair, dirty, smelled, and around his neck he had a tree branch in the rough shape of a cross held around his neck with a rope asking for food. That part wasn't strange because everybody in the neighborhood knew that Grandma, even though she's poor, she'd feed anybody who showed up. Uh, so while he's eating at the kitchen, she asked him, what's your name? And he said, Jesus. She said, do you have a last name? I'm Jesus the Lord. Now my grandmother's English wasn't good, and so when an uncle came in later, she introduced him as Mr. the Lord. <laughs> and uh, she said, uh, where do you live? He said, I don't have a home. She said, well, where are you going to sleep tonight? It's very cold. I don't know. She said, would you like to stay here? He stayed seven years. So one other thing you need to know about the spirituality in addition to that, that part will get you a peek into the spirituality I learned. The other part about my grandmother that I learned from her spirituality, she was rigid about one thing, fanatic about one thing. She used to say, never walk when you can dance. She used to love to dance. She was a very heavy, big woman, but she was light on her feet. She would dance for certain benefits. So. <laughs> It was in her Jewish way. She taught me what Jesus had to say. In that precious way, she taught me what Jesus had to say. One day a man named Jesus came around to Grandma's door. He asked for a little food. She gave him more. He said he was Jesus the Lord. She didn't check him out with Rome. He stayed for several years, as many did without a home. It was in a Jewish way. She taught me what Jesus had to say. In that precious way, she taught me what Jesus had to say. And that's feed the hungry, heal the sick, then take a rest. Never walk when you can dance, make your home a cozy nest. Yes, feed the hungry, 
heal the sick, then take a rest. Never walk when you can dance, make your home a cozy nest. It was in a Jewish way, she taught me what Jesus had to say. In her precious way, she taught me what Jesus had to say. that give you a peek of what spirituality I've learned. And you know, I've done that song all over the world now, and one of the things I love doing it is there's somebody like that in everybody's family. And I hear about it, so I know they're all over. And that's the energy that's going to create the world. Yes. Um, I've heard just some amazing dialogue about conflict resolution. Uh, I'm still a bit confused being that I'm a manager of a large company and also want to raise a family. How to bring uh, this consciousness into not using rewards or punishment uh, in my dealings with people and, and my future family. So give me some situations, both at, at work and or the family, where it would seem difficult to look at options other than punishment or reward. What kind of situations seem impossible to deal with without those two? An employee that continues to show up late for work and uh, is not doing the job that they're paid to do. Come on up here and uh, we'll, we'll see how to deal with this rascal. So you've asked me to come in and uh, I have been late for work regularly and uh, certain jobs I've not done to your satisfaction. Uh, if I wanted this person to produce more to meet my needs for protecting the organization, uh, the most powerful way I could begin would be to show that I'm interested in the needs that keep him from doing what I would like. So whatever it is, the more, in fact, the more threatening the other person's behavior, as I mentioned yesterday, the more important it is to be able to begin the dialogue with empathizing with the needs that keep the person from behaving as we would like. So if I'm, as I told you yesterday, as I'm working in prisons, if I'm working with somebody who is molesting children, I want to begin the dialogue by empathizing with the needs that lead this person to do this. If I'm working in countries where people are killing others, uh, it's not the way I'd like to resolve the conflicts there. I begin by empathizing with their reasons for meeting their needs that way. Because I want to be sure that it's never my objective to change the other person. Whether it's a child that's doing something that I think is not in harmony with their needs or my needs, 
an employee or in these more dramatic cases. I want to be sure that it's not my objective to get them to do what I want. Now, that's pretty hard in a managerial situation since that's almost the, um, the stereotype of the good manager is able to get results, you see. So nonviolent communication, that's not our objective to get results. I was hired by uh, Connecticut General Life Insurance one time. I was shocked when the man heard me at his church wanted me to work with his salespeople. I said, uh, that's not the purpose of this process. He said, I know, but I think if you show our salespeople this, I think it's what we want in our, in our organization. So he said, we have a sales program that's working very well. It's greatly increased first-time sales. We call our program Sweat Questions. They're questions designed to make people feel guilty if they don't buy the insurance. It's working very well, except we're losing our best salespeople. <laughs> and we can't get a salesperson in the door for second-time sales. It's very good at first-time sales, you see. So the first thing I made clear to the salespeople is that this process, nonviolent communication, is not designed to get results. What is it designed for? To create a quality of connection with other people in which everybody's needs get met, and they get met through natural giving, not through any guilt questions or shame questions or fear. See? So, in other words, I don't approach this employee with the objective of getting him to work on time or to produce more. I approach this employee with the objective of creating a quality of connection with him that will end with both of our needs getting met. It's a radical paradigm shift. Now, the irony of it is, sales went up 50% in each district where... But that wasn't the objective. That's not how I measured the success. Nor the company, incidentally. What they were most happy with, they didn't lose their best salespeople. See. But I wasn't trying to get them to sell more life insurance. I said, this process cannot sell a product that doesn't serve life. Because if it doesn't serve the other person's needs, you don't want them to buy it. Your objective needs to be to get everybody's needs met. Okay, so with that theory in mind, let's put that into practice. Uh, 